postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. 
Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Hey, Mighty One. With nearly 300 Birthful episodes in over five years, it may be hard to know where to begin listening to the show. To make it easier, we've put together the Best of Birthful series, which showcases some of our favorite or most relevant episodes. This is one of those. If you enjoy what you hear, make sure you subscribe. It's free, and that way you won't miss a thing. Enjoy. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents to be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show. Welcome, Leslie. It is so wonderful to have you on the show. Hi, Adriana. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, so good. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? I, you know, I'm an obscure Canadian doula. <laughs> That's who I am. You are uh, more I, than that. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I'm good with that. I have been uh, a doula in Montreal for about, well, over 26 years, actually. And I am a body worker. I'm currently um, getting my certification in biodynamic craniosacral uh, therapy. Uh, I'm an interspiritual minister and I'm a doula trainer. So I really like to draw from a lot of narratives from different wisdom traditions when looking at birth and teaching about how to build resilience in birth, not in any religious way, just in a narrative way. How do we prepare our nervous system for birth in all of its mystery and craziness to land on us in a way that we can navigate as safely as possible. There's so much that we don't know, and it shows up in every person so differently. That's why when, you know, we do things like time contractions and things, that that actually seems kind of strange to me because that assumes that everybody's body is working in the same way and has to meet the same pattern. It's just so not like that if you step back and really have a look. And so, however, we do navigate the birth even though it's not a medical event, it's usually put in a medical environment. Yes. And I feel that we are discovering a lot of how to navigate that while also supporting the physiology. And also why I was so excited to talk to you today because we've... There's, I feel that there's an aspect of birth that kind of gets truncated, which is that physiology of the third stage, which yeah. has a lot of, there's a reason that things need to happen to sort of close the cycle. Um, yep. And we're intervening with that. So that's what a bit of what we're going to talk about and, and we'll go different places. But where do you want to start in exploring that? Let's dive in with that. Um, I like to talk about birth as a nervous system event, because when we look at it that way, we can see the importance of the integrative gifts that we have available to us in the third stage and after our birth, and how it is important to leverage those gifts in order to kind of feel like we're, we're complete in the birth. I feel like trauma Well, this has been said by Dr. Uh, Peter Levine, who is a a very well-known trauma therapist, that trauma is a nervous system injury. This is when something really difficult happens 
um, coupled in an immobilization response. So when we're giving birth, we're definitely immobilized. Um, and if everything goes well and we have time for our bodies to downregulate and integrate, then we feel really complete. But I think if we don't, there's going to be part of us that's not feeling well integrated. And if bad things have happened to us in our birth that made us really uncomfortable, that can actually deepen the trauma if we don't follow the physiologic cues. Right. And these are things that will happen um, even regardless of the birth you have. Like if you have a beautiful birth um, or a flowing birth with no interventions and everything's going smooth, even in under those circumstances, because birth is such a big body event that there's like a yes. baby going through your pelvis is still kind of, you know, but not mentally traumatic, but like physically in the, the definition it's of trauma. Yeah. yeah. So so you still need to downregulate and integrate no matter totally. the birth. Totally. I mean, we do it in sex as well, right? It's really fascinating to me how as above, so below. So honoring all of the wonderful, beautiful, different ways there are to get pregnant these days, if we kind of break it down into the basic natural thing, sort of the same arc of experience that it might take to create a new life it's the same sort of arc of experience that helps to get the baby out when we're looking at the rise of oxytocin and the shifts in behavior and then the need for a bonding process afterwards so i really like to use those two events and sort of overlay them on each other to just See how we are missing out on the birth part if we don't leverage that downregulation period. Mm. So let's talk about the sex part because that's something that you know most people are familiar with. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Some people who have given birth never have had that. You know, have had sexual experiences. We can have asexual folks who get pregnant. Uh, so this is like really just breaking it down to the very basics. So I don't want to feel I'm leaving anybody out. Also, I'm, I'm kind of careful when we talk about sex in relation to birth, because I know for some people that could be um, traumatic. Some people have a hard time coupling those things together. So I'm saying this with awareness. So I'm going to just kind of put it in a purely physiological way. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so, if we kind of look at the stages of labor, we have, you know, the latent phase, we have the active phase, we have the birthing phase, and then we have um, the, the third stage afterwards. When we look at a sexual experience, we have the arousal stage. Um, if I'm just referring to Masters and Johnson's super basic and very super limited sexual response chart, that's what I'm going to use today. If we look at their response, sexual response chart, we have arousal, which I feel can be sort of overlaid upon the latent part of labor. Then we have the plateau phase, which is when we're really going for it, right? So this would be more like active labor. And then the orgasm, if you will, would be the birthing part of labor. And then the third stage of labor, we could look at that overlaid with the resolution period and even longer after birth. So when we look at this, we can see how the body and the oxytocin sort of work in the same way. So 
obviously birth is much bigger and, and more intense. And the sensations are generally very different. I'm just kind of speaking about the arc of experience. So when um, our oxytocin is rising, um, especially at the beginning of a sexual experience or at the beginning of birth, what we start to notice is that people are still aware. They're more embodied. They're feeling things happening in their body. And that sensation is getting stronger and stronger. But when we move into the active phase of labor or the plateau phase of the sexual experience, this is where we really see that deep brainwave shift that goes, uh, it goes really, really deep. And this is kind of where all of the beautiful intuitive stuff starts to happen. The oxytocin that is releasing into the body at a really high rate right now in the, both of these experiences is generally creating a deep sense of trust and a desire to connect with the people that we are with. And also in the, at this point in birth and in sex, we tend to be really uninhibited, which in birth I feel is an incredibly protective kind of gift because you know when we talk about the possibility of pooping <laughs> to a pregnant person, it's, it's kind of horrific to think about that. But when we are kind of full of oxytocin and endorphins, our inhibitions tend to go away. Yeah, they have like a very, it, the focus narrows of what your, you know, your visual and your auditory and everything narrows into what's at hand and you go really deep into, yeah, it's not that you don't know what's going on around you, but you choose to like, I'm, I'm, I got to get down to business and this is the business I got to get down to. Yeah, not, not really caring. Because like you said so beautifully, the, the focus is just really narrowed. So we don't care as much about being seen. And also we're very trusting. Um, and it's really important just to pause there because when we are altered in states like this, when we are seeking to bond, when we are naked and vulnerable and uninhibited, this is incredibly important for birth to, to go in a really good way because it means our hormones are working well. We can also see how birth can be right for trauma. I think birthing folks, um, you know, when people are talking about their experience, there's a lot of judgment. It's like, well, you had a healthy baby and everything went well. And other people in the world are dying in childbirth. So we're kind of really lucky to have had that experience. Um, yes, but also our experiences are our experiences and they're really valid. And it's quite amazing to unpack how many people have experienced trauma in the birthing process. So just to kind of put illuminate that while we're going through the process, because it's something I, I never want to forget to say. Mm. Uh, well, but, and, and, yeah. and how important it is for your the people you choose to have around you and the care providers that are with you. Right. So important to sort of know. And this is why the the evidence-based stuff becomes important is because those choices that you can make and discuss with your care provider before you go into this space is this is where the other people in the room can pick up where your, your hopes and dreams are and begin to advocate for you when you are too open and in the zone to do it for yourself. Mm -hmm. All right, so back to a normal, wonderfully unfolding physiologic birth. So 
once that baby, once we're going into second stage, there is this really lovely time between full dilation and actual expulsion of the baby where we're kind of waiting for the baby to get really low in the pelvis, the plus two or something like that, and then rotate on the pelvic floor so that the head begins to extend. That is really what she uh, characterizes as the, the, the second part of the second stage of labor, like the, when the body begins to push. It's not even you who are doing it. It's the body and the baby <laughs> are pushing up. So this is kind of what would be the, the climax of the birth experience and also the sexual experience. Very often we hear a lot of noises going on and that are uncontrollable and the body is sort of heaving to achieve the end of this experience. And so I've always found it really interesting. And Adriana, as a doula, you probably have seen this. Um, when a baby emerges, not everybody does this, but how often do you hear that really high-pitched cry at the end when a baby comes through the pelvis, comes through the vaginal opening? Do you hear that a lot? Oh, yeah. The, as the head is emerging, you get this, <laughs> Yeah, it's that high, high-pitched shriek. And I've often wondered about that on a physiologic and evolutionary level. Why do we do that? Well, I mean, very often when people are having an orgasm at the end of the sexual experience, there are these great cries that happen. And I'm wondering if birth givers do that so that they're sort of keeping their energy up higher and maybe not pushing into their bottoms as much, which might potentially be helping to prevent, you know, a bad tearing experience. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at amazon.com. 
Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. A lot of these things that you are looking at and that I'm looking at is we see something happen often enough that doesn't have quote unquote an explanation. But when you see all sorts of people from all sorts of life under the same circumstances doing the same thing, then you have to start to ask, like, wh what's the reason behind this, right? Because on a, that biological level, our bodies tend to be economical. They don't like to yes. do something just for doing it. Um, I had a client once who was doing her master's degree in, in um, music therapy. And we were talking about this high-pitched sound that people make at the end of the birth. And she... She gave me a really interesting bit of information. She said that that crazy wild sound resonates in the pituitary gland and releases more oxytocin and more endorphins when it is that wild high-pitched sound because it resonates in that top chamber of the, the cranium. So um, we see this also in the orgasmic response in a sexual experience. Um, in, in, in French, they actually call orgasm le petit mort, which means the little death, because we lose ourselves so much. We're swept up in the sensation. Uh, and as the baby emerges, just that, that little death, it's almost like ego dies to itself for just a little moment and then emerges again um, integrated as a parent. And so that takes a profound physiologic and nervous system shift to integrate the immensity and the intensity of that experience. And so this is sort of what brings us to the third stage of labor or the resolution period or afterglow, 
I love how you said the ego dies and then it emerges again as a parent. Like that is profound. Um, so then it's time for resolution. What usually, mm-hmm. what, what needs to happen at a body that level? Question. That's the most important question. What needs to happen? So I think just allowing the expression of our fullest power in our unique way is important and to not assume that somebody is making that sound because they're terrified or need to be controlled. So that would be for the birth. And then when we come to the resolution, what often happens in a hospital birth is that the positionality of the birth giver is usually such that their baby needs to be handed to them immediately because there's kind of nowhere else for the baby to go. There's this very sort of quick impetus to, here, take your baby. Oh, here's your baby. Here, take, open your arms, grab your baby. And to very prematurely pull people out of that deep delta brainwave shift. So what needs to happen is everybody needs to slow down. There is a natural pause that occurs between giving birth and claiming our parenthood. And if this is not honored and it is too rushed and we take somebody out of that nervous system completion prematurely, then I think we risk people walking around after their birth feeling really unintegrated and very jangly. So it's just like after the sexual experience, this resolution period is in place for there to be a period of quiet, of coming back down, of tissue healing. There's actually tissue healing that happens at a high rate in this place and a really big opportunity for bonding after such an an intimate event as a sexual experience. So same with giving birth. We need to give the parents, and if they have other parents uh, or partners around them, um, the ability to claim and welcome their baby in their own space. I think this is really good for everybody. I think the fear is that everybody is going to bleed and there's all these protocols in place. But what if in all of this fear of getting it done quickly, we're actually violating the normal high of oxytocin and contributing to the bleeding. That's Mm. a thought that I've had. So on a nervous system level, it's not just that. We need to protect the physiology of third stage in a really big way because this is the most vulnerable stage for the birth giver. So let's let's say uh, all of the things that need to happen for a physiologic third stage are happening. The baby arrives and nobody is yelling take your baby Um, I can't tell you how many people I've seen have their baby plopped on them look scared like and then feel guilt after because they didn't didn't feel what they thought they should feel I felt that with my first child and I had a home birth that that baby was plopped onto my chest right away and my first thought was I'm scared because I'd had a long, hard delivery. She was a, a face-up baby, and it was long and hard, and I think my nervous system needed a minute. And I quickly integrated it, but I'll never forget how kind of I 
like the violins weren't playing in that moment. The angels weren't singing. And I thought that that was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't. I just needed a minute. And so if we can follow the directive of the birth giver, I think we're going to support them a lot better. What you will see is that the parent will usually not pick up the baby right away. It's going to be this moment. Some do. And that's perfectly fine if that is your directive. If that's directed by you and you automatically pick your baby up and put it to the breast right away because that is your imperative, that is perfect. But a lot of parents need more time. So what happens now for the parent is they're sort of back consciously. They're, they've come back from delta brainwaves. They're maybe now more in, in alpha brainwaves embodied and overwhelmed from the experience. If we just give them the space, what will often happen within the first hour or so? This is the coolest thing. They will often start to shake. They sometimes shake really, really hard. And I feel like this shaking is the signal that this whole crazy wild birth experience is integrating. And Not everybody needs to shake, but I feel it's very, very common. So that shaking is important. Very often in a hospital birth, we go, oh, you're cold. And we try to warm that. But actually, we need to let people shake because that is how the nervous system downregulates and integrates that experience. And it brings a whole different meaning to the phrase shake it off. So, Leslie, what can people do to support? those physiological needs within the context of a managed birth setting, which is most likely what they were going to experience. Yes. Um, It's actually, I I find in my experience that if you're a birth supporter, a birth giver, a birth supporter, a birth partner, um, bringing this up, just talking about this physiologic nervous system uh, opportunity, checking in to see if this is something the birth giver wants. And then if they do, making it part of their birth preferences that maybe they're bringing to the hospital, that they ask for the room to be quiet. And that if the bed is broken, that maybe the partner or the care provider can just Hold the baby against the thigh where it can stay warm, but give space for the birth giver to downregulate and take the baby at their time. That the room does not have, take your baby, oh my gosh, it's a boy, it's a girl, and have that sort of loud bustling. You can ask for quiet. It is very hard for a staff to maintain that quiet for a long time because they have a lot of things to do. But I have found that at least for a good minute or two after there's been a lot of cool like like acquiescence to that just ask them for quiet and there have been times where I've you know I've had people who were of the Muslim religion and they said actually it's part of our tradition to have the father be the first person to say any words in the room so I mean you could say that it is a spiritual belief you could that you just want you know the first words to the baby to be of uh, from the parents. So asking for silence, as simple as that, can be really, really helpful. So, you know, depending on what is going on, creating like little privacy shields for them um, and just asking 
for quiet. And it's not that we want to abandon our presence from the birth givers, because sometimes they will look at you in the shaky shaky, right? With, are we okay? So this is where we want to engage the ventral vagal nerve, you know, with social engagement. We look at them and we smile and we nod and we go, this is amazing. This is exactly what is supposed to happen and just go with it. That supportive environment can help reflect back to them that they're safe and that they're well. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about putting the baby next to the thigh, one of the things that I also that can be a a helpful position to help to, with this integration and giving parents the minute they need to lead their experience is um, I see often when parents give birth in in a hands and knees position mm-hmm. because there's no chest to put baby on. I've seen this twice in a hospital in hands and knees position. And what the care provider did is they didn't ask the birth giver to turn around. They actually just scooched the baby through from between the legs and up towards. So the birth giver has enough of uh, like a reflex to kind of make some room for the baby. But then they just sort of curl around the baby. And I've seen that in silence until the birth giver took the baby. So they don't actually necessarily need to turn around and mm-hmm. go on the chest. They, the baby can just sort of be scooched to arm level, like threaded through, and um, it can be claimed when they're ready. And it's been so beautiful to witness this. I think this needs to be a new emergence mm-hmm. in birth practices to allow for the nervous system completion of birth for birth giver and for baby. Well, and then no, you can also afterwards, if you so choose, create a recreation of the yep. of the moment to allow, yep. you know, who is it that says, just get in a warm bathtub with your newborn <laughs> and, and both of you are naked or in a bed. You don't have to be in the water and just, you know, just hang out. Just hang out just and hang out. think about and it. And babies yeah. will show you. Babies will show you their own completion very mm-hmm. often. They'll be in one place. They'll show you their birth dynamics. Like they'll be in one place. They'll turn their head and then they'll cry and they'll have a big story. Let them do it, right? And then they'll turn around in other ways and they'll react. This is all their way of helping, you know, to release some of their cranial nerves and exercise their orienting impulses. I feel like on a nervous system level, birth is done for baby once they self-latch. Mm-hmm. So and recreate that, that self-latching. Yeah. Recreate self-latching for baby on a nervous system level. Yeah, that's when it tends to finish because that's when they're like orienting everything and they're doing their crawling thing and they're reconnecting to their uh, their their heart, right? And it doesn't have to necessarily self-latch. Doesn't have to necessarily be the full-on breast crawl for a baby just to be lying you know, in the crook of their parents' arms and it's kind of finding the nipple on themselves. It's, it's, it's uh, good for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead of, here, I'll take your breast and connect it to your baby's mouth. Maybe we don't want to do that so much. <laughs> the, not, neither the baby nor the parent is learning anything if that's done that way. Nope. 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 Uh, Leslie, this has been such a fun, fabulous talk. Thank you so much for for doing this today. Yeah. If people Thank you so much. Yeah. If people want to connect with you and and follow what you're doing or ask you more questions, how can they do that? 
Um, you can always uh, email me info at motherwit.ca. Uh, my website is www.motherwit.ca. And I train doulas all over the place. Thank you so very much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Such an honor to be here. I love your work. You're doing such important work. Blessings on it. May it continue in great success and prosperity for you. You've been listening to a Best of Birthful episode. To listen to the original longer version of this episode, click on the link in the show notes. And there are many more where this came from. Look for episodes with the words Best of Birthful in the title to continue your deep dive to inform your intuition. You can find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com. You can also connect with us directly on Instagram. We're at Birthful Podcast. Birthful was created by me, Adriana Lozada, and is a production of Lantigua Williams & Co. The show's senior producer is Paulina Velasco. Virginia Lora is the managing producer. Cedric Wilson is our lead producer. Ali Kiltz contributed to the production of the Best of Birthful series. Thank you for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and everywhere you listen. Come back every week for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.